Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Dewey Burke. Carolina coming off a 24-point win against Tulane in the Smith Center on Sunday. And Dewey coupled with that game and then the win over Davidson on Friday night. Sort of a NCAA tournament stretch there from North Carolina. That kind of stuff pays off in March. Your take on both games. It does. And really, honestly, the last couple of weeks, that stretch for us has been similar in some ways to what March will be like. You know, playing almost every other day and then a, a couple of days in between and then going at it again. So that we've played a lot of games in a, in a short stretch. So I, I'm sure Coach is ready to get these guys some rest and focus on getting ready for finals and that sort of thing. But uh, I thought the game Friday was a, a good road test. Davidson's good. I mean, they shoot it well. McKillop's a great coach. And they made us work for that. Would have liked to have seen us shoot the ball better from three on Friday. But uh, had some guys really play terrific. Obviously, Luke is continuing to play extremely well. And uh, he did so again today. And, uh, you know, Tulane was overmatched. But I thought we played well today. I really did. We didn't play down to our competition. Shot 65% from the field. And a lot of guys contributed. And we can get into the personnel after this, but uh, that was a good way to finish up this stretch of games and now get a little rest and, like I said, get through finals. We can talk about what that's like and conferences around the corner. Yeah, when I listened to Coach Williams' post game, he wanted his guys to be more active, especially on the defensive end. And Dewey, I thought they were against Tulane. Tulane's got a couple guys that can really play. Uh, that dunk in the first half was as good a dunk as you'll see all year. And Carolina accomplished that, but like you said, they also shot the ball well. They're just tough to deal with when they when they invest on both ends like that. That's a great point, and it's interesting to break down the stats. If you look at a typical Carolina game where we feel like we've been really good defensively, it's oftentimes the, the case that we have turned the other team over and got out in transition. But you look on the box, and Tulane only turned it over eight times. So really – we just guarded them well and made them take tough ones and held them under 40% shooting, which is going to get a little star on the board outside the locker room anytime you do that. And we just made them make tough shots and then really did a nice job on the defensive glass and it's just on the glass overall getting them 45 to 26. But you see what I mean by looking at the box, that we didn't turn you know turn them over a whole bunch. We just guarded them in the half court for the most part and did a nice job. They still made a ton of threes, but they shot a ton to get that number. So I thought we were really active defensively, and I thought the ball moved nicely on the offensive end. And obviously, like we said, we shot the ball really well. And I like the uh, excuse me, I like the fact that our three point attempts were down at only twelve. I thought we took really high quality looks from behind the arc, and we focused on getting the ball inside where we had a height advantage. And even the perimeter guys were getting to the rim. So uh, even though an inferior opponent, I thought we really did play well. Yeah, what do what does coach look for when you're playing a team? You're clearly 
outmatching. I mean, this game was over early. Uh, one thing that I saw, and I've seen it the last couple of games, is Theo Pinson's really getting away from that three-point shot. Now, I know he's, what, two for 20 on the year or whatever, but, you know, he was two for 15, and he kept shooting them now these last couple of games. I don't think he has any attempts from behind the arc. I look at that type stuff. How do you get better against teams you're going to clearly beat? Uh, Pinson's doing that. Your take on what Coach Williams is looking for in games like today? Sure. It's going to be execution. And and execution, I think, a lot of times, maybe perhaps the average fan, when he watches, you think of execution, you think of it on the offensive end. Did we run our play right? Did we execute the way the play is supposed to be run? But execution is defensive also. And so in some ways, in a game like this, you're playing against yourself and you're playing against the level you know you're capable of. And and can you be at that level for 40 minutes? And if it's not going to be 40, can you be there for 36? And if it's not 36, can you be there for at least 32? And kind of looking at the game in those four-minute segments and trying to win segments and execute on both ends. And I thought our execution was really good. We ran secondary well. Uh, We ran a couple of box sets that got nice looks for guys. And... To me, not knowing what he said, but my guess is he really put an emphasis on getting the ball around the rim and not just for the bigs, but also the perimeter players getting to the basket. And as you mentioned, Theo, I think I read that Coach had a chat with him a la Jackie Manuel in 0405 and just said, hey, you know, clearly you're not shooting the ball well. Let's get involved in other ways and see if you can't create going to the basket. And he's listened. Like you said, the last couple nights, he's not taken the open three and penetrated, and almost every time it's been a positive play, whether it's him finishing at the rim or getting fouled or finding somebody. He sees the floor probably better than anybody on our team. So him in the paint with people around him to try to create opportunities is a a great offensive play for us. That's great execution for Theo. So hopefully he keeps that up. Let's talk a little bit about the execution on both ends of the floor. And offline or off air before we started, you – made the comment that you believe Coach Williams is sort of putting more in the playbook, so to speak. Um, speak to what you're seeing out there in the last few games that'll be helpful as North Carolina gets deeper into this season, deeper into ACC play. Well, it's been interesting. They've run a couple different plays offensively that are, for lack of a better way to put it, a little bit foreign to me in watching Carolina as long as I have. Uh, the first thing is he's got the flex offense in in the half court, which I love just because it's a great, simple set to get guys screening and moving and, and reacting to the defense uh, as opposed to just our general motion or whatever comes out of our secondary sets. Uh, I love the flex, just that simple back screen, down screen, back screen, down screen action. And that's a great offense to run where your whole goal is be patient enough to let the defense screw it up. And you've heard me say that before on this podcast. That's one of Coach Williams' favorite things to say in practice uh, when you're executing on offense is be patient enough to give the defense a chance to screw it up. And the flex is a great offense to run to do that because there's only so many times that they can correctly help off on a back screen and then be late on the on the forthcoming down screen until you're going to get that elbow jumper or get a, a backdoor cut off the back screen for a layup. So I like that we run the flex. And the other thing is he's running kind of a uh, a four-out, uh, bring-the-defense-up motion where he's trying to pull the defense up above the free-throw line to create penetrating lanes and perhaps back doors. And that he's running that when it's only Luke in the game as the big uh, and Theo at the four. 
So there's a couple different wrinkles, and that tells me that they're thinking uh, as they look forward, they're going to have to have some some wrinkles in different sets when we do play small because our typical box sets and our secondary stuff, while we can still run it with a Theo or a Cam at the four, uh, it's not going to be uh, as quote-unquote traditional as as we've always run it when we have our two bigs. So I think those those wrinkles just show everybody that you know, coach does think outside the box and he is adapting to the team that he has by putting in different sets. Speak to who benefits the most on each of those two different types of offense. Uh, you know, I would think that somebody like Theo benefits on the four out one end because he can get to the rim and it cleans out underneath. But, you know, I've seen Joel Berry get some back cuts on there, some back doors and just break it down a little bit like that specific to the personnel that's being, that's, uh, you know, for the lack of a better word, benefiting from it. No, I think it's a great point, that, especially that four out one in. If you think about our traditional sets, after we get through our secondary break or get through our box set, there's almost always going to be two bigs planted on the block or one on the block and one at the high post. So it can at times make it a little clogged for a slasher to try to get to the rim, like Theo. So that four out one in set when your five is a stretch four, really, as in Luke, creates and opens driving and penetrating lanes for a person like Theo, to your point. So it's almost tailor-made for him. And I think we'll, you'll see that more and more, especially we get Cam back and we can put a lineup out there of Joel, Kenny, Theo, Cam, and Luke, right? You've got four shooters. And then if Theo has the ball, he really can spread those four guys out and just penetrate and look to get to the rim because we know he can play above the rim, finish with both hands, and then if people collapse, he can find a shooter. So I do expect to see that more and more. And I think that's some place that Jalik can thrive as well with his penetrating ability and, and his size and vision. Uh, he's got he's still got you know some growth to, to have happen before he's going to play meaningful minutes. Uh, and then, of course, finally in the flex, to me, it's Luke, uh, just because he can score in so many ways that each place you can potentially get the ball out of that flex set, he's dangerous. If he's the big that's receiving the, the baseline back screen, and can catch the ball going to the rim. He's got little floaters and jump hooks and ways to finish. If he's accepting the down screen, he can hit that elbow jumper. And uh, and then also there's a wrinkle in flex you can run where you set the back screen and then that post guy just turns and faces and and, and faces up and can catch it on the block and he can score that way too. So uh, I think of all the people for the flex, Luke can really benefit because he can set solid screens and his man can get out of position and help and then he can find himself in a position to score. Before we move to the defensive side, talk about Brandon Huffman a little bit. I, I felt like watching him, even in high school, just go sit in front of the rim, you know, stay out of the lane, and then make a cut, get to the front of the rim. He'll get dunks all day. He did that um, today against Tulane. He's getting better. He spoke to the fact that he's getting more comfortable and getting better at it. Speak to how much that helps North Carolina, at least when they're playing a, a traditional lineup to have a guy like that improving and understanding where he needs to be within the offense. No, I think that's right. It's just, it's just reps for him. It's practice reps as much as anything. And he, he was good tonight. And uh, like you said, the more he's around the rim, the better, because I, I don't know that his skills are developed that much from outside of say six feet, uh, other than the fact that he's got a decent looking free throw stroke around the rim. He's really good. He tries to dunk everything, which is, the reports that we heard coming out of, out of preseason, you know, he's still got stuff to learn. He's, he's also got to get in better shape. He's not in, you know, prototypical Carolina big man condition yet, but he, he can learn that and get that. 
But the biggest thing for him is he just needs to practice. And, and it's interesting thinking about the current makeup of our team. Normally you would say a freshman big man has the opportunity to practice against the older big guys and learn from them. So you think about Luke May the last two years got to practice against Isaiah and practice against Kennedy and even practice against Tony. He's a first-round pick. And then Lucas had the benefit of a couple summers in Chapel Hill playing against the pros and the guys that come back. Well, it's, it's different for Huffman because he's just practicing against other freshmen for the most part. You know, he's practicing against Sterling and Garrison and, and Walker Miller. And none of those guys really know what's going on. So when I say the practice reps are going to help him, it's not so much because of who he's playing against. It's because it's just more time with Coach Williams and the staff drilling into them the fundamentals of what it is to make sure in the secondary break you're, you're rim running every time if you're the first big down. And if you're the second big down, understanding that as that ball reverses through you, all these options and different things that can happen and making the right reads and screening in the right place and, and in our box set. So, he, he look, he's got a long way to go, but he's big, he's long, and he's active around the rim. So those are, all, those are all positive things, and tonight he was really helpful. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show. We'll be right back after these messages. Let's flip to the defensive side, and I'll go to your thread on the message board, which is fascinating, your responses and the questions that you get. But sometimes you need to be able to break it down on a podcast, so we're going to do that. Uh, somebody asked, Iowa Tar Heel asked about defending the ball screens. And there's many different ways or two or three different ways of doing it. Break them down each way. I mean, I tend to prefer the switching, but that can get you in trouble if you don't have um, a lot of like players on the court. But break that down, defending the ball screen, def- defending the pick and roll. I mean, that's pretty much what most teams run, even on the college level. So your take on that. Yeah, it's a great question, and, and thanks to Iowa Tar Heel for, for bringing it up. And I, as you said, I replied that I wanted to cover it on a podcast. So to me, as I go through these, I may come up with another one. But to, as I go through them, I think there are five ways to guard the ball screen, at least. And the one you talked about is definitely one, which is switching. And we, you might, I don't know that you will, but you might see this team do that more than a typical Carolina team because if we're in that small lineup, again, which is Joel, Kenny, Theo, Cam when he gets healthy, and Luke. A lot of like-and-kind players there, with the exception of Joel being a little bit smaller. So you might see us switch ball screens with that that group, but that's obviously the most simple one is as the big comes over to set the screen for the perimeter player, you just simply switch it, and then you hope that you know that the guard doesn't get taken advantage of down low. So that would be one. Uh, the way we've always done it, which which the the gentleman mentioned here in the in the post on the thread, is the hard hedge. And the way that is taught is as the big man comes to set a screen, the person guarding him has to get his numbers to the sideline, hedge hard, and reroute the dribbler up and above and out towards half court. And then the rule is for the guard, he has to do two things. He has to go over the screen and under his teammate. And that's something we work on a lot in defensive station. So if we're, say we're in a situation where Luke's man is setting a screen on Joel's man, Joel's going to need to fight over the screen as Luke hedges. Joel gets underneath Luke to recover, and then Luke sprints back to his man. That's the way we've always typically done it. That's what I would call our base pick-and-roll defense, uh, just the hard hedge. Uh, the reference here in the post is a flat hedge, which is a little different, which we did some of last year, where Luke, instead of getting real high and is getting his numbers to the sideline, will keep his numbers to the baseline and really just look to string the dribbler out. Don't let him turn the corner and get past you, 
which is try to keep him flat and not let him get downhill. Allow Joel to recover and then sprint back to your man. That flat hedge is something that we've done here and there, and we did some last year. The next one or the fourth one of, of the five that I can think of will be just to trap it. And that's something that we'll do, especially if we're in our run and jump uh, back from Coach Smith's days, is as Luke's man comes over to set the screen, Luke and Joel can just trap the ball, try to get that perimeter player to pick up his dribble, and then the other three guys are going to play almost like a three-man zone uh, with a free safety trying to anticipate where that pass is going to go and pick it off. So that would be the fourth. And then the fifth and final one, which is really what you see a lot of times in the NBA, uh, which is you try to force the dribbler down on the side that he's already on. So if you can if you can picture, say we're playing at the Smith Center and the opponent's point guard has the ball right in front of Coach Williams and Joel Berry's guarding him and Luke's man is on his way to set a screen. Instead of working to uh, to come off the ball screen towards the middle of the floor, Joel would just send him down. And, and what that means is he would get so high and up above the dribbler that the only way the guy would really would really be able to go is towards that baseline, kind of down our bench, if you would. And if he goes hard, then Luke could kind of slide in there and help until Joel recovers. But the idea of sending him down is you're not going to let the ball reverse, either by dribble or by pass in any way. You're going to keep the ball pinned on that side of the floor and expect that your teammates behind you are going to scramble and make the switches necessary to keep you in a sound five-on-five defense. So to me, those are the kind of the five, you know, quote unquote, basic ways to guard a ball screen. Uh, I feel like I've been talking for ten minutes, but uh, <laughs> we've done we've done them all, and we've practiced them all. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see as again as we get into more of those hybrid four guard one big lineups. If Coach tinkers with that and and does some switching and does some NBA like forcing them down to the baseline or traps or anything uh, in the above that we discussed. So with this personnel that North Carolina has this year, your take on which is the best way to approach it related to the big men? I mean, because you, you got to have big men that can move their feet and then recover and, and get back in a hurry. So with what you've seen thus far, what are we, nine games in, how would you, if you were in Coach Williams' shoes, how would you attack it on most nights, given the fact that you're going to adjust it based on who you're playing, but just in general? Well, I think this, the safest way to play it as far as limiting mistakes is going to be our traditional hard hedge. And I say that because when this team had their practices in the summer and the fall before the season really started and they were going through defensive stations, that's what they would have practiced. So if you're Sterling and Garrison and, and Brandon, that's what you know the best because that's what you've had the most reps at. Now, when we put something in that's game-specific, it's going to be harder for those guys to remember as freshmen with all the things they're thinking about and, and all the hype and, and being nervous about playing in these bigger games as they come along. It's going to be hard for them to remember which way is which, whereas the, the regular hard hedge, to me, is going to be the most ingrained. So I think if he's going to have one of the freshman bigs on the court, he's going to have them just do it the traditional way that we've done it for the most part. Now, if he's in that hybrid small lineup and Luke is his main guy that's guarding a ball screen, then I think you might see him get a little bit more crafty because he's going to trust Luke to be able to read the situation and make the right play. So, you know, the hard hedge is what we've done the most. Probably flat hedge is the second most. But that switching is definitely going to work, particularly if, if it's Theo guarding a four-man and he's going to set a ball screen on, say, Kenny's man. 
they can just switch that very easily and, and it should not you know get rid of the advantage that the, the offense would have because there's not that big of a difference between those two guards and somebody so it will be interesting to see again I would think with the freshman bigs he runs the hard hedge the most and then with the other lineups he can tinker and try some things I'd love to see them switch more aggressively maybe trap some because he'll have athletic guys the three behind that can sprint around and maybe get a steal uh, it'll be interesting to see so do you change it up based on whether a team likes to shoot threes or say you've got a, a point guard that gets to the rim, like like a Barry that likes to attack or, or can get there? Do you change it up based on that? I mean, a lot of times I know I've watched Carolina play and if read the message boards or Twitter during the games, you know, if they don't defend it well and somebody gets an open three, you know, you always hear about, oh, they can't guard a three or, or whatever it is. So do you switch it up based off – opposing players specifically like if you had a Duvall for Duke I mean how would you guard a player like that that can that likes to get to the rim but doesn't shoot it that well I mean do you treat him any differently well yeah and you know as we're talking I just thought of a sixth way to guard the ball screen and Duvall is a great example I mean if, if I'm coach Williams perhaps in that situation I might you know quote-unquote break the rule on the hard hedge, and I went tell Joel Berry, hey, if you're guarding Duvall, rather than do our principle of over the screen and under your teammate, because we're not worried about him pulling up behind the screen and shooting the three, just go under everything. Go under every screen, dare him to shoot that 22-footer, and then he's always going to be in position, meaning Joel, to guard against penetration. So if you've got a point guard that's more of a slasher and likes to get to the rim but hasn't proven the ability to shoot the ball, you could just go under the screen all right, and and I just thought of another one. Um, the other thing you can do is you can have your big squeeze. So in other words, rather than if you're Luke in, in our little model we're, we're building, if you're Luke, rather than him hedge or flat hedge or switch, he can just literally squeeze his man, as in like hold on to him and try to make them uh, him and his his guy he's guarding as skinny as possible, almost like it's one guy instead of two. And then just let Joel figure out which path he's going to take. If he can fight over the top and keep him in front, great. If he can go under and keep him in front because he's not worried about him shooting, perfect. That works well. So maybe with a Duvall, you just tell who's ever setting the ball screen, hey, just squeeze your man, get real tight to him, and let Joel pick his path. All right, so now we got seven, Tommy. That's yeah, good. absolutely. If we talk uh, long enough, we'll get the eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, I might find some more. Um, yeah. So that would be how I'd guard that. But then let's talk about what if it was Grayson. Right, and it's somebody that you really worry about shooting the basketball because he can pull up behind the screen. He can hit threes off the bounce. We've done this in the past when I was playing and playing against a guy that was really lethal in that situation. We would just trap him, and we would just say, every time Grayson receives a ball screen, we're going to trap it, and we're going to figure out how to handle it from there and scramble, but we're just not going to let him beat us pulling up from behind the ball screen. Uh, so that would be one way you could play against him, for example. It's fascinating. It's a lot more complicated than just rolling the ball out. And that's why, you know, a lot of people see these freshmen, and you can speak to this too as well, Dewey. They see these freshman guys and wonder why they're just not getting it. You know, like a guy like Jaleet Felton. I mean, it's a lot more than just running out there and playing like it was in high school. And it takes a while to get used to it. And here Carolina is with the three bigs that are all freshmen. And you make a great point about practice because I don't think it's ever happened at North Carolina that freshman big men don't have upperclassmen, significant upperclassmen to practice against. And then Felton's going against 
the best players in the country out there, but he's still struggling with it. I mean, just speak to, we're nine in, like I said earlier. How long does it take for the head to stop spinning? I don't know that Jalik's ever will, you know, this year. It's just there's so much to think about and and just understanding what coach is going to want in certain situations. And that goes for under out-of-bounds plays. That goes for side out-of-bounds plays. That goes for end-of-shot clock plays. It goes for the, all the box plays and the sets we can run off of that. Now we've got flex. Now we've got the four out, one in. We've got all our secondary reads, trying to figure out who's got the hot hand and feed him, doing it at the time that Coach Williams wants, pushing and making the decision, is this a primary break or a secondary break? Am I supposed to have the ball in the middle of the floor? Or am I supposed to get it to my secondary spot? Are we running, jumping on defense? Am I picking up 90 feet to pressure? Are we in a zone for a possession or two? All of that stuff, everything I just spewed out runs through from Coach Williams to the point guard. And then he also, every time there's free throws, has to call the right set in the huddle on offense or defense. He's got to look over at Coach and know what he wants and then call it and then make sure it gets executed. And you got to take care of the ball. You got to figure out when's the right time to look for your own shot. When's the right time to get to the rim? When's the right time to pull up and shoot? I mean, there's so much going on as a point guard and coach's system that it's just, it's amazing. And honestly, you know what it makes me think about? Of all the great point guards we've had, one of the best freshman seasons was Bobby Frazier's. And it speaks to how smart of a player he was. And I was on that team that he picked up all of that stuff and was able to play as well as he did as a freshman was remarkable remarkable because it's just an incredible amount of information that you're trying to download out of every practice every film session even shoot around we take 15 minutes and run plays and you're in charge of it and if you screw it up you gotta look over your shoulder because you know he's coming for you and so for Jalik he's just gotta just one day at a time and try to soak it up and try to learn from Joel Uh, because uh, on the one hand as you mentioned Jalik has the benefit of practicing against Joel and Theo and Kenny and and Cam when he gets back, high, high level experienced perimeter players. But on the other hand, he's still a freshman in this system. And then our bigs, they're practicing against other freshman bigs. And that's another place we miss Tony because they could have been practicing against Tony Bradley all fall and, and through the season. But they're not getting as much thrown at them as Jalik is, uh, you know, as Biggs. Their jobs are a lot more simple. So it's just a fascinating dichotomy in a way to look at the the difference between what Jalik's experience is and what the Bigs are. Good stuff there. Uh, Carolina plays Western Carolina, I believe, Wednesday night, and then they've got an exam break. Dewey, I hope we can talk one more time this week to talk about what goes on during exam break. That's a tough time for these freshmen. The upperclassmen are all used to it. Uh, but I believe I heard Roy Williams say post game that they'll get Monday off before playing Western Carolina on Wednesday and then take that long break. As always, man, enjoyed it. And listen, you could talk forever about Carolina basketball, and I'm sure every one of our listeners will be on the edge of their seat. Appreciate it as always. Thanks, Tom. That was a good one. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.